0: This is the uh, Creating a Church of Small Groups session. And uh, there's, a, there's a couple of seats right there. My name, well, let me start that over, sorry, so I do get a clean start. This is the uh, Creating a Church of Small Groups. And uh, my name is Tiffany Crosby. I am at Radiant Life Church in Dublin. Um, in which i do i do service to small group coordinator I've only been in that role for probably a couple of years so I can't take credit for all that's been there like I didn't start the foundation of small groups or anything i've been i've um I've been at ready a little over twelve years um I was a small group leader for many years and then ended up uh, doing the small group coordination and so i've kind of uh with that path. I'm also uh, part of the leadership development task force at the Ohio Ministry Network, where our focus is really helping all of the leaders in their task of developing leaders, right? And so we do that through a number of things, small group resourcing, so equipping small group pastors and leaders is one of those ways, and I'm responsible for that, along with mentoring, right, equipping mentors to be better mentors, coaching, right? So we provide coaching, facilitation, and training. Uh, Ohio SCU, OSOM, all those things that are really designed to help develop leaders is what we focus on. When it comes to being a uh, small group, small groups are near to my heart. I never thought they would be because I will be honest, when I first attended Radiant Life Church, I could have cared less about small groups. I wasn't interested in being in a small group, right? I wasn't interested in being a part of community life. And that is something we're going to tackle in here, because there's a very fundamental reason why I was not interested. And one of the reasons why I was not interested, sorry, ladies, but I found women very catty, and I had no desire to have a relationship with a group of women. I just didn't. That was the mindset I was coming in with. And if group life meant that I had to spend an hour or two hours a week with a group of ladies I didn't know, that sounded worse than going to the dentist. I'm just going to be honest. It really did. Um, So I think it's ironic when you fast forward 12 and a half years, and I oversee small groups. What are you doing? And I'm in women's ministry. What? (laughs) I don't want our women's ministry. Like, God God has a sense of humor, right? Um, So I now do have a deep appreciation for the importance of small groups and of group life. And actually, even of where small groups fit within the idea of developing leaders of, of changing lives, of transforming communities. And honestly, I will say that a lot of what I see currently with small groups falls short. And as we go through, I'm gonna ask you some questions. Think about them honestly. I might even say some things that people might get offended by. But here's the beauty you gotta send me grace. So, <laughs> all right. So how many? So these are just some questions. Don't don't try and get exact on this, right? Um, don't try and get analytical. If you don't know the answer, that's fine. But just in general, how many small groups does your church currently have? Do you know that answer? Ten. ten? Okay. Two. Two small groups. Ten small groups. All right, let me ask this question. And if you know the answer, write the numbers down. Um, Yeah. Ah, we're going to get to that. That is very, you are jumping ahead. (laughs) There's a reason I'm asking these questions, and it gets exactly to the question you're asking. Yes. How many groups do you have in which discipleship happens? Is that number different than the number you just gave for small groups? Yeah? It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. You're right. Because small groups is about discipleship, and we're going to come to that definition very shortly. All right? How many teams do you have? Different question. How many teams do you have? Is it the same as any of the other two numbers you just gave? Like, so if you think of worship team, greeting team, connection team, whatever teams you may have, how many teams do you have? Now I'm going to ask you again. How many small groups do you have? (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. We often tend to segregate or silo small groups from discipleship groups, from service teams. And we think of them as three separate things. So next question I'm going to ask you, what is the purpose of small groups? What's the purpose? It's funny, because this question has been... And just think about it. It's somewhat rhetorical, but not completely. This question has been answered differently by a, lot of, by a lot of people, and that is where some of the confusion happens. Some would say that the purpose of small groups is to better connect people to God. Right? And there's nothing wrong with that answer. When you have that answer, what small groups tend to focus on Is primarily discipleship, and there's—we're not going to argue that discipleship is a bad thing, right? It's not, and that often leads people to like uh, small groups that are sermon-based or that have a very defined, often controlled curriculum, right? Some people might answer the purpose is to connect people to one another to initiate friendships that could. That then could develop over time. So it's just about getting people connected together, right? So that they feel like they know people. It's a big church, and you just want them to know someone. When you take that approach, and by the way, the first one, if you're if that's where you're at, you'll probably like things like Sticky Church or some of those resources. They'll resonate with you because that's more their approach or use it. The second one. You tend to get a lot more of your a lot more small groups that often are together for shorter periods of time, six weeks, eight weeks, semester-based things. You might have a promotional period. Right? They come together quickly. You, your leaders are really just anyone who can get six people together or whatever the number is, and they are your small group leaders for that thing. And um, if you take that approach, you're probably going to resonate more with Activate and some of those resources, because that's the model that they use, right? When I think about our actual mandate, right, to go and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, when I think about this idea that we are to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. When I look at what small groups have done and how they operated in Acts 2, right? And you look at what they did. I think there are elements of all those things. There's definitely breaking bread together, right? What do you see in Acts? What are some of the things they do together? There's prayer. There's breaking bread together. There's, there's relational type things. There's all those things. But there's also this idea that their faith is being activated, right? And there is this multiplication and other things going on. So when I think of small groups, this is the definition I'm going to use for the purpose of what we're going to talk about today. And it really comes from building a church of small groups, kind of, with my own twist on it, right? So building a church of small groups, which is Bill Donahue and Russ Robinson. But it's the idea that small groups represent a community where discipleship occurs so that people are growing in connection to God, self, and others. Right? GSO, they're grown in connection with God, self, and others. Now, if that is true, if that's really happening, what would these small groups look like? And then we're going to get to, we will get to, so how do you get there? But what would this look like? Just want to imagine what if, within small groups, people were being baptized in the Holy Spirit, right? It wasn't something that just occurred on a, in, a, in a weekly corporate service or on Pentecostal night or in a Sunday set aside for focus on the Holy Spirit. But within small groups, people were actually getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, that some people, they're going to be like, uh-huh, I don't know, because people are a little hesitant about this idea that we might let some of our leaders actually you know, go there and step out into this you know, strange place of Holy Spirit baptism, and what if they get it wrong? type thing, but we'll save that. That's another class. Um, but just imagine that. What if people within small groups began to speak prophetically over one another? Right? Imagine that. What if they experienced healing and deliverance in small groups? How powerful would that be? Now, if we got to that point, and I know one of the challenges of small groups is getting people to sign up for small groups, and we are going to talk about that a little bit because there are some very real reasons for that. But could you imagine if you had a small group where people were growing spiritually, they were being healed and delivered, set free, they were being baptized in the Holy Spirit, they were having prophetic words spoken over them. How much easier do you think it would be to get people into small groups? Right. Think of how people are drawn to churches where they can sense God's presence. If they... Yeah. If they sense that same presence in small groups, will we have to fight as hard to get them there? No. All right, so one of our first challenges of having a church of small groups is expanding our vision of what small groups should be about and what the small group experience should be. Too often, we settle for a Christian version of a social club. All right, small groups have just become (laughs) ChristianMeetup.com. They have. You get together with friends, with people you know, who share the same interests. You hang out. You have fun. And then you go back to your life. And I want to challenge that. Uh, When we are starting to look at a church of small groups, what we should be asking, so there are some wrong questions to ask, and I want to go over those. If I can find where I wrote them at. Here we go. There are some things we shouldn't be necessarily worried about. I'm going to put some qualifiers around this. How many groups are enough? How many small groups does our church need? Often, when we start trying to build a strategy, that's one of the first things we ask. Well, how many groups do we need for our church size? I like to rephrase that question and say, instead of how many groups do you need, the question is, how do we get, and I settled on 90% because you'll never, you seldom will you get to 100%. There's just too much movement, things going on. But how do we get 90%? of our people engaged in a discipling community. And if you can do that with two groups, then two groups is what you need. And if you can do that in... and if you need ten groups to do that, then ten groups is how many you need. All right? Our goal is not to have a certain number of groups. Our goal is to have a certain number of people engaged in a discipling community where they are growing in connection to God, self, and others. Right. That also then impacts what type of small groups do you need? And what qualifies as a small group? Life class, we at Radiant Life Church, we, do life, we still do life class. We call it life class. We don't call it Sunday school. We do life class 915 and 1015. There is discipleship going on there. There is fellowship going on there. There are people, they are praying for one another. We may not have all the food, but they can stop at the coffee shop and grab coffee before they go into class if they want to. The coffee at our coffee shop is free. Right? If you want a specialized drink, you're going to pay for that. But basic coffee is free. And we even have flavored creamers. So you want French vanilla or hazelnut or peppermint mocha in your coffee? Go for it. All right? So all of that is there. Does life class qualify as a small group? Absolutely it does. Girls' Ministry, Royal Rangers, have you looked at the curriculum that they use? It is group-based, right, age-specific, gender-specific discipleship curriculum delivered in a very systematic, strategic way. Does that qualify as small groups? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you have a missions team that's meeting together regularly, praying for one another, challenging each other on, on uh, what the Bible says about missions, challenging each other on other aspects of their life, does that qualify? It does. So first thing we really got to get is a vision of what small group truly is. It is about a discipling community. And it can happen in many different ways. There are many different flavors of small groups. We had, we're we're not doing it right now because we live in Ohio, but we have a run club. Right, that we do in the summer, uh, summer through fall, we take the winter off. You could probably understand that we don't, we don't do winter. I'm not, I'm not going to be outside running in the winter. Um, but we also have discipleship that goes on there. We meet beforehand, uh, before we all meet together, and then after we're done running. There is a time set aside where we generally have snack together, have prayer, and have some type of devotional period. Small group? Yes. Built around running, but there is still discipleship occurring. All right? So that's one of the things. Another question that we sometimes ask is, what do they study or do? All right, and that said another way, how much control do I have over the curriculum? All right. and I get that question a lot. What should small group study? Is it okay, is, should it be, be sermon-based groups? Should it be Bible study groups? Should it be um, interest-based groups? Should it be service-based groups? And I sometimes frustrate people with my answer because my answer is yes. Right? Yes. I think what we really want to ask is where are they headed? What is the goal for that small group? Does the leader have one? Right? Has the leader grabbed hold of a vision of what they want to, be, to have happen within that small group? Now, do we sometimes, based on looking at our, the demographics of our church and some of the issues that are there and some of the life stages that are going on and some of the challenges, do we try and target particular life groups to get started? Absolutely. It's both a top-down and bottom-up approach. You will find throughout a lot of this, I'm not big on dichotomies. I believe most of the dichotomies we set up are false when we say it's either this or this. No, it's not. Right. There is some flexibility there. Now, I truly believe that if we are about making leaders and asking them to make leaders, but then that means we have to empower them. So that means releasing the reins and not having full control over everything that goes on in that small group. she so may say, well, what if they pick a book that we don't agree with? That could happen. We've had that happen. You know what? God has a way of working through all of that. And coaching and mentoring, right? Coaching and mentoring, there's a way to handle all of those situations. I believe the the goal, if you're going to have a church of small groups, is to hold your leaders accountable for outcomes and then equip them. Instead of what are you going to study, how are you going to help people understand the purpose of the Holy Spirit? How are you going to help them better understand how to apply the gospel practically in their lives? How are you going to help them have conversations of faith with other people or in the marketplace? right? Having those type of discussions. Because what they study is ancillary. What we want are outcomes. We want to be driving towards outcomes. You can have the best study material, and I know some of our groups, they love Beth born They love You can have the best outcomes, but if there isn't an intentionality on how you want people to grow, people just come together, they'll watch the video, they'll answer the questions, and they'll go home in the same state that they came, right? It's not the curriculum that changes people. It is the environment that is established where they're able to experience the presence of God. That is what changes people. And When we're trying to get to a culture of small groups, that is the culture we have to cultivate, that their responsibility primarily is about establishing the right environment for God to move, first and foremost. So now, if you want a, if you want a small group church, here are some questions you're going to want to ask. How do we want, and we've covered some of this, but how do we want discipleship to happen within these small groups? Not point by point, but you need to at least give people a framework to operate in. What are some of those key aspects of discipleship that you expect to happen within small groups? I encourage keep it simple, all right? So that's why I say things like, you're going to pray, you're going to have some study of the word, Right? It can take different forms. It can be in video, it can be a devotional, it can be but in some way you have to get people into the word and you have to get people praying, right? Because that's what causes transformation. Just talking and sharing a great meal, while I'm all for food as you can tell, does not change people. You feel good afterward, but you haven't tapped into that life-sustaining power as a part of the small group. Um, Another thing we have to do often is dispel some of the things that stop people from participating in small groups. So some people don't participate in small groups because they feel they don't have enough in common to participate in that group, and they're looking for a group that really matches their life stage, their interests, their kind of um, style of, of uh, growing related. Like they're, they kind of have this laundry list. It's almost like a consumeristic approach applied to small group. And they wanted to fit into their existing schedule. I have this, (laughs) this is a challenge, right? So that means they need a life group that meets on Mondays from 11.45 to 12.45, um, but not on the second Mondays because they have this. And ideally, they will, you know, so they have this whole picture of what small group life needs to be. And we got to dispel that. Uh, Because participating in small group life may be inconvenient. It may actually require you to make some changes. Right? And if we're a family, guess what? You're not going to be identical to each other. I don't know how many of you are from big families. I'm the youngest of seven. Okay, My brothers and I, I have one sister, five brothers, and we are very different. My sister and I do have some things in common, but there is 12 years to separate us. So, even with some of the things that we have in common, we're still very different. Right? Because we hit different life stage milestones at different times just because of our age gap. They're still my family. And sometimes we have some dysfunctional moments, as families do. And sometimes they do some things that offend me, as families do. Right? And you work through them, and you figure it out. But in a consumeristic society, and one where you are taught that the way you handle offense is to unfriend, to block, to unfollow, right, to disconnect, we actually fundamentally have to start to teach people how to be in relationships now. A few years ago, that probably wasn't the case. You could have just said, you need to join a small group. Now we actually have to teach people how to live in community with one another, because they actually don't know how to do it. Plus, we do have some people... Now, this is the category I fell in, right? When I started at the very beginning, where I said I wanted to know I want it nothing to do with small groups. You have some people who have been hurt from moments where they were transparent or from friendships that they've had, and they're not necessarily willing to put themselves out there again. And small groups, at least healthy, functional ones, you're going to be vulnerable, right? And there's going to be, ideally, authenticity, right? And you're going to be sharing some things that are meaningful. If someone's hurt, that's not what they're likely to initially sign up for. So, not only do we have to dispel the myths about what community life is and teach people how to be in relationship with one another, we often have to t- we have to help people heal from the emotional wounds that they have so that they can participate in healthy relationships, right? And all that has to happen before you can truly have Healthy small groups. Some pretty tall water. Actually. Um. I one of the other things, and this is an easier part of it, so we look and we say, okay, here are some things we're going to do on the relational side. That can be done through various stuff. It can be done through life classes. There are some great resources on that, caring criticism, a Christian Christian caregiving way of life, or something close to that. I might have mingled a couple of words there, but there are some really good resources that make great life classes that can handle some of those issues. But then, so how do you get people into life groups? If we just leave people to opt in, which i tell you, it's the easiest approach, right? You just say, here's the list of small groups we have. And let them opt themselves into one of those. Sign up for it. A notification goes to the small group leader. And boom, you're done. And all you have to do is make sure your list is up to date. That's great, but you're going you're gonna to miss people. Who are some of the people you're likely going to miss in that process if it's fully opt-in? Elders. Yeah, elders. Who else? A lot of people want to be invited. A lot of people want to be invited. Same reason you have challenges with getting leaders. They want to be tapped on the shoulder and asked to lead. A lot of people want to be invited into small groups. They don't necessarily feel comfortable just signing themselves up to participate in a group where they know no one. Right? Now, one way you can get around that, again, it doesn't mean you have to do away with that process, because there are some people, they're extroverts, and they don't care. They have not met a stranger. My daughter fits into that category. I'm an introvert, all right? And my daughter's an extrovert, and I always joke that she can make friends with a tree. Right? It doesn't matter. If she's known you for 10 minutes, she's known you for your whole life. Okay? Um, those are the people, those who uh, really are connecting people, like your connectors, those are the ones you want to tap as scouts. Right? So I like to describe connectors. They are the ones who seem to know everyone. Right? And they seem to make it their business to notice those who are not talking to anyone. Right? They happen to be able to look across the room, no matter how crowded it is, and see that that person is standing by themselves and go over and talk to that person. Right? Those are your scouts. Send them on a mission. Make it their mission to not just notice these people, but to get these people connected. Not just with them, but get them connected into a small group. Right? That becomes their assignment. Connectors, when that's... They're passionate about it already. They're already doing it. Now they're it towards a specific aim. I'm saying, yeah, get to know them and then make sure they're connected. Right? Uh-huh. So how do you get started then? Let's say you're, you already have some small groups or you're thinking about starting small groups. How do you get started to on, on this journey of having a church of small groups? I mentioned the scouts. That's, they're going to come into play. But the first thing you probably need is you need a small groups point leader. This actually, this cannot be another task handed to the lead pastor or the associate pastor or the um, executive pastor, there needs to be a small, point, port, uh, small group point person who this is their primary responsibility. Why? Because connecting people is tough, and because um, equipping small group <laughs> leaders to lead people requires time. And it requires intentionality, right? And um, and it gets messy. <laughs> it just gets messy, right? Because people are messy. So someone needs to own this. They need to have the support of pastoral leadership, but someone needs to own this. Um, a second one is really, it's probably the lowest tangent fruit that I think is, exists at most churches, and that is to inject small group ministry into all existing teams. All right. So you have a women's ministry. Are they doing group life? Or are they doing just events? Nothing wrong with events. Events can lead to group life. Do they have that vision where, if they're doing a networking event, that networking event ultimately ties into group life somehow? All right. Time apart is a great way to get, uh, if you have women-based small groups, to get them attending as a small group. Right? And then doing follow-up post the event as a part of their small group, right? So some of it is, how do we take what we already have? It's not always about starting from scratch. It's about, and this seems to be a theme of today, looking at what you already have and saying, how do we make sure discipleship is happening within those existing teams and groups, right? That's the first place to start. It's actually a less of a lift than starting up a whole new ministry, okay, where you have to get leaders, then get them trained, and then get people connected into those groups. That That has a longer runway, and if you're just getting started and you don't have small groups, that might be where you're at. And that is going to take a longer period of time. But if you already have groups going on and, and service teams going on, inject discipleship into those processes. Good idea. Yeah. Organize around a span of care. Um, your goal is that everyone is cared for, but no one cares for too many. I don't care who you are, you have a limit on how many people you can care for. You do. And the same applies to small group leaders. Ask anyone else. Small group leaders aren't, don't have this extra special dose of caring serum sitting somewhere that they can draw upon. All right? So that means that as your church grows, you're probably going to need more small groups. You can't just keep adding to the ones you have without them breaking. Someone's going to get left out, and their needs are not going to be met. Now, that might also mean that you might take some people from existing small groups and ask them to go start another, just like the whole church multiplication, small group multiplication. And guess what? Not everyone in that small group is going to like that because they developed relationships. They're comfortable with each other. They know each other's stories. They've done life together. They've (coughs) they've broken bread together. They've worked through different life ups and downs together. They're not exactly excited about starting a new group. They're quite comfortable with the group they have. And that is hard. I'm not going to show you that that's easy. That's hard. Just as hard as it is, just as hard as kind of getting some of your people to go to a church plan, right? It it is hard to take from an existing small group and put them into another small group. Yet, you only have two options. You either do that or you just start with a whole group of people who have never done group life together and you train them to do group life, right? That's the two ways you're going to get more small groups. You're either going to take existing ones and take leaders from out of there, or you're going to raise up new leaders, or, so, well, some combination, too. So I guess that's your third choice, is you can do a combination of the two. That's the only way it happens. It's the same way church plants happen. It's it's no different for small groups. Um. When we wait too long to do this, small group life, community life, starts to suffer. And I will tell you, I have this, we have this issue. Many established churches who have had great success with small groups eventually gets to this place where some of your small groups start to act like cliques, right, because they've been together for so long. They raise kids together, right? Their kids are friends they're not really interested in accepting new people into the group. It actually starts to become a closed group. And you have, again, if your goal was a church of small groups, you have only a handful of choices with that. You can let it go as it is, which means you have to start other ones, right? Or you can pull some out of that group and have them start other ones, or you can completely disband that group. Now, I probably, I'm not a big fan of the last one, unless there's something really dysfunctional going on in that group. But are there the first two options? You know? It depends on, do you have people waiting on the bench to, that you feel comfortable with starting small groups? And if the answer is yes, maybe you leave those ones alone. And it just stays as a close group, as long as their discipleship is still happening. The key is that it is still meeting the objectives of small group life. Even though it feels kind of like a social clique because they've been together, but they are still growing spiritually. They are still growing in connection to God, self, and others. You still see that spiritual maturity going on. Then, you know, if it's, they've been together for 10 years, but they're still growing, okay. But when they stop growing, That's when you have an issue. And don't ask me how to handle that issue. That is a difficult one. Lots of wisdom is required on that one, and lots of prayer. Uh, Keep it simple. When you're trying to do small group life, what we found is you need to keep it simple. We used to have, and we're still dealing with some of the challenges of this, multiple arm ramps. So if someone came to the church and asked what was their next step for how to engage at Radiant Life Church, and I, this is not, and it certainly wasn't limited to Radiant. It's probably almost anyone who's just grown organically over time. Uh, well, you can go to... You can go to a women ministry event. Go to a men ministries event, right? Because right? we have men. Or you can um, join, start volunteering at, with, at the coffee shop. Or uh, do greeting. You know, what do you want to do? Right? So there was all this. Or, or maybe do foundations. Or get into a life class. Or like if you laid out the menus of ways that people could technically arm ramp, you probably would have had a menu of probably 35 options or more of what they could potentially do to get more connected or involved. How many of you have been into a, been to a restaurant for the very first time, very first time, and they have a menu of 40 items, and you're trying to figure out what you want to eat? How does that feel? Yeah, a bit overwhelming, right? Until what do you finally do? Generally, if you're like me, maybe you're not, but what do you normally do? Price. You go, you go, you go for price, or yep, you might go look at price. We ask the you ask someone, "What's your favorite item? What would you recommend?" That's right. As long as it's within the price range, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know? But yeah, you start looking for a way to make the choice easier because it can be overwhelming. So how do we keep it simple so that there aren't there isn't thirty or forty on ramps? So yeah, one choice keeps it real simple. I, I happen to like the one click the one click um, button on Amazon. Click it. You check out. You're done. Yeah, it's easy. They have made it so easy. So what we did, and we are at the beginning stages of this, so I can't say how this is going to look a year from now or, or two years from now. But the idea was to make it simple, simple enough that people can articulate it without giving a dissertation, right? That people could even draw it. And I probably could, if I had chalk, draw it. And it wouldn't take me very long, because here's the idea. We started what we call life track. Life track is three weeks. And we hold life track the first three Sundays of every month. And the first week is about no God. Second week is about no family. And third week is about no purpose. I think. I might have them backwards, but I... So just know that those are the three weeks, all right? Um, And the idea behind that is... It occurs during the life class hour, but the idea behind that is by the end of that, then they would have, through that process, identified the next step of getting engaged. So now what we're saying is when you have a new person who comes, all right, the only thing... You recommend to them. Or the only thing you have to remember is that they need to go to Life Track. That's it. Nothing else. You don't have to remember to invite them to this women's ministry event or to send them over to meet the youth pastor or to Life Track. Go to Life Track. At Life Track, they will they will be exposed to the values of Radiant Life Church, the mission statement the group life, right, the service teams, all of that stuff will be explained to them in LifeTrack. They will do... No, we do this before, the hour before. So, uh, and they will will do a spiritual gifts inventory. They will do a disk assessment. And then, at the end of that, the goal by the end of those three weeks, is that they'll be connected to some type of team where they can get, start serving. Now, the teams that they can start serving on in the beginning is a little bit more limited, right? They can't start a Bible study after three weeks. We have a whole leadership development process they need to go through to do a Bible study, right? That's farther down the path. But they can get involved in coffee, like the Life Cafe, in greeting, in ushering, in parking lot, right? Various things. And so we lay out here's what you can do now that you've gone through life track. Where do you want to get involved at? Once they're in a team, the next thing to do is to get them into a small group. It's not the first thing, in just a little way, it's life track. Teams, small, now many of the teams might function as a small group, but not all of them do, all right? We haven't fully injected small group life into every single team yet. There are some logistical challenges we have to work through to try and make greeters into a team because we have different greeters every week. Like our greeters serve one Sunday a month, and so you might have a team of six or eight greeters each week, but that team looks different every week, and so how do you do group life around that? So that one doesn't necessarily function like a team, but girls' men does, right? So girls' men is leadership, is a small group. Greeters is not a small group. It's team life, but it's not small group life. So make sure, so life track, team, small group. From small group, our goal is to get them into leadership development. Right, because we are changing lives. Our mission is changing lives, developing leaders, and sharing the love of Christ everywhere. So that's it. That's the four-step process. All right, so no more confusion as to what you should do. Small groups is where a lot of the other invitations should be happening. So it's through your small group that they should be getting invited to a women's ministry event or to a men's ministry event, right, with the idea that small groups are attending together. Now, do we still have bulletins? Absolutely. And we still have announcements? Yep. You know why? Because not every small group is functioning the way they should. Right? Think of it like having kids. And my, my boys, I still call them boys, even though they're 30 and 29, but um, my boys did not seem to understand the concept of bringing papers home from school, right? I did not have that same issue with my daughter. So where I could trust that I knew everything that was going on at school for my daughter, I could not say the same about my boys. Small group leaders are kind of like that. Right? And you have some where you know you can deliver information to, and it's actually going to get distributed to the group. And you have others who are going to be more like my boys, and they're going to be like what paper? And then at the end of the school year, they're going to open up the locker, and there's all of the things they didn't bring home. Right? That's reality. When I think of Ohio for Jesus, which obviously heavily focused on, it really does require all of us collaborating together. And so I really feel that small groups can accelerate this. I asked you before to imagine small groups where there is Holy Spirit baptism going on and deliverance and all those things. I'm going to ask you to extend your vision just a little bit more and imagine small groups, either one or several of them, coming together to start a ministry that meets the defined needs of the community. So it no longer has to be another thing that the pastor takes on, but the small groups start a care ministry. The small groups start a divorce care ministry. The small groups start, say, right? Imagine that. Imagine a, a, a small group or a set of small groups taking on a church planner as the mission that they personally support. Imagine that small groups planned outreaches. So it was no longer the pastoral team that had to plan an uh, Easter egg hunt or a trunk or treat or a community movie night. But it was the small groups that band together to pull that off. That's doing life together, right? That's actually living the gospel together. Not only are you having fellowship, not only are you growing in knowledge of God, self and others, but now you're starting to outreach into your community. And you're engaging in evangelism together. And you're engaging in missions together. All right. Small groups are going on mission trips together. All right. That's really what's possible in a church of small groups. Now, have I encountered one church where they have fully realized that no, there are some that are further along that journey than others. But no, I mean, it's almost like you have you have eight cylinders and someone's firing on four or five of them. All right. But not on all of them. Or I mean, it, it is really it, that's just going to be a reality for some. But does that mean you have to settle for that? No. Right? You can continue to push, but part of it starts with expanding our vision. I honestly don't think we've challenged our small groups enough to be a force of mobilization. Right? We actually have not even mobilized small groups as it relates to truly living out the gospel mandate. We've almost sat, We've settled for social clubs. We just have, and as long as people are happy in their social group, at least they have friendships. But we have not truly mobilized the power of small groups. All right, we have a few minutes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So this is where the small group point person is critical. And ideally, that small group point person, over time, is done a couple of things. But first and foremost, that small group point person has to share the vision of the church. If you want to know where it all starts and where small group life breaks down is when you have a small group point person who has their own agenda. They have got to be on the same page. They have to believe that the church's vision and mission is their vision and mission. And small groups is one of the ways they help the church accomplish that mission. If that is not there, you will have problems. Yeah. Curiosity. So, when initia- trying to initiate small groups, then um, obviously you need to pick people who will be the disciples. Mm-hmm. So, as the small group leader, uh-huh. um, do you initially disciple them? Are you discipling them so that they can disciple others? So, as a small group leader, um, we have two processes that happen with discipleship. So we do have a group of leaders who have been at the church quite some time, and they've gone through Foundations 1, which Foundations 1 is like a, a year-long, if you think of a school year. It starts in August, it goes through May, it's 32 weeks, it's split into two halves, and it goes through everything about Christian faith and Christian living, I mean, everything. and. Many of them have gone through Foundations 1 already, um, for some of the ones who have been doing small group a long time. Some of them have even gone through Foundations 2, which is a second course that goes through transferring ownership and stewardship of time, talent, resources, all of those things. And so for those ones, I tend to give much freer reign, right? they have already spent two years or more sitting underneath our pastoral team, all right? And they have, um, really, many of them have done courses at OSOM, and some of them are credentialed holders, or they're not credentialed, but they're actually eligible to be if they wanted to be. So I don't really focus a lot on those ones. Other than if they have questions or they ask for coaching or mentoring, I kind of let them go, right? So I kind of have tiered my small group leaders, and I've established a Tier 1, 2, and 3. So those Tier 1s, they're really pretty much self-sufficient. And I'm just there if they have questions or they're wondering about, because one of the things I do is I vet a lot of curriculum material. I read a lot. I do different Bible studies, all these things. And so if they have questions about something, um, I may answer them. Tier 2 are ones that they have... They're not as experienced as the first group. They are solid in some areas, but they still have some development they need in some other areas, right? And those ones, I'm gonna focus more just on those areas of development, right? Often we might do that through things that we already have going on in the church or through online learning through or through OSOM or some of those things, right? Again, not a heavy lift for me. The group that is challenging for me, that is probably the most time-consuming, and right now we don't have a lot of them, but we probably will if we achieve Pastor Chris's vision from a church planning a multiplication. So I'm preparing myself for this or trying to, is those who don't fit, don't have any of that experience or background. And they want to do small groups, and we want them to do small groups, but they haven't yet fully, they may have only done half of foundations, or they may be at the beginning. Those ones are going to need a lot of training, coaching, mentoring. And um, that's why I'm also trying to build a small group leadership team. Because recognizing that right now, I only have maybe one or two that fall in that category, I can handle it. But if we achieve the growth that we're targeting, and I suddenly have 10 in that category, I can't handle that on my own. I'm going to need a small group leadership team that is able to be paired with some of those more intensive uh, so those tier three small group leaders don't need more time and attention. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier um, your leadership development course. Is that the foundations, or is that a different... Uh... Um, it's foundations. We offer, yeah, it's our foundations. We offer foundations one, two, and two every year and then every few years we offer Foundation 3 because not a lot of people... It's kind of like with Osong where you have certified, <laughs> licensed, and ordained. You have this big pool of people that go through that first level, Foundations 1. It gets smaller at Foundations 2, gets even smaller at Foundations 3. So we don't do Foundations 3 every year, but Foundations 3 it's not required for anything. So it's not required for you to be in leadership. It is just a great leadership course because it teaches you a lot of the things about... Um, it, it just goes through a lot of things like teen dynamics and just the psychology of teens and all of that type of stuff. It truly is like a almost like a master's in leadership type course. And so we only offer that every few years. We, have, we didn't, we're not offering it this year. I think we offered it last year, so it probably won't be until maybe 2021. 20, it's hard to believe we're throwing those years around now, but 2021 until we offer it again. Do you guys share the, uh, the materials? We absolutely do. Okay. Foundations One is online. On our, the audio recordings of Foundation One is online. Um, so, you can actually get the full audio of every week's. Um, pastor Dave H- Gross has been teaching it for many years, but now Pastor Joe Higgins, our new executive pastor, has started to step in and do some of that um, when Pastor Dave's gone, which in retirement he's busier than ever. So,. Um, <laughs> um, So yes, but we also make the manuals available. So we have it in a Dropbox folder, or we can send it in a zip file, or all those other things. That is Pastor Dave's heart, is to share uh, as much of the resources that we have. There's no reason for someone to go recreate it. Yep. Yeah? I just do it in the state. Yes, as part of Ohio Ministry Network. What I do for Ohio Ministry Network, my focus is on trying to equip primarily small group leaders, but or small group point persons, but I also work with small group leaders. I, it's primarily about resourcing, answering questions. I do have a small group <coughs> Facebook page that... Um, People are having a hard time following it, finding it. It's a closed group, but you should be able to see it. And just, but I have to approve you to have access to it. So it's called OMN Small Group Leaders. And I put a lot of resources out there, but it's also the easiest way to ask me a question uh, because then I'll get pinged. If you just try and do it through my email, you could accidentally get deleted, not because I'm trying to, but I'm trying to clear out my inbox of you know 150 messages and I don't notice that this one I might want to respond to so it's a lot easier to do it there okay yeah but that's that's part of my heart so if there's something you need just message me if you can't find the small group thing uh you can send me a message you can This time, because I just did Synergy, I will be more mindful of my email, probably for the next week. So if you act quickly, I'll probably see it, and then I'll revert back to old habits. I'm just being honest. (laughs) Um, All right. Anything else? Thank you.